Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who will never have bangs again. They just don't work on my face. <laughs> and I'm Bravada, the girl who recently got her bangs back. When you said that, it made me think of that Rick and Morty episode of Gazorpazorp, where it's like, your crime is having bad bangs. <laughs> Did you watch that episode? I've never seen (laughs) an episode of Rick and Morty. I've seen like maybe five minutes and that's out of clips. What? I love Rick and Morty. Why are we always like opposite? (laughs) We are so opposite on everything, but we make it work. Except for the things that really matter. (laughs) Well, yeah. Our core political, religious, spiritual uh feminist views pretty much all aligned together and i think that's what makes it really work it's the fact that mm-hmm. we're not gonna butt heads on lgbtqia rights or ownership of our own uteri but we will no. totally butt heads over who's better looking fenris or anders <laughs> truth and if you are new here welcome to the beautiful chaos that is genesis and Vervada. you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of fucking or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters using specific in-game dialogue so if you want to stay spoiler free this is not the podcast for you So, here's your fucking spoiler alert. Thanks for the spoiler alert, Sam. Today's episode is a special interview episode. We were thrilled and honored to sit down with Alexandra Lucas, researcher, games writer, intersectional feminist, and is currently a narrative designer at Stoic Studio. Alexandra has also written many, many articles, chapters, and discussions on gender equality and romance in the video gaming space and pop culture media just at large. 
She's spoken and been a panelist at all the big gaming conventions, such as PAX Dev and GDC. That's the Game Developers Conference, for those of you not in the know. And having a panel at PAX, that's pretty damn huge. We have the amazing Heidi McDonald to thank for this connection once again. Her cup runneth over with connections and perfect interview guests for our podcast. Did we mention that Alexandra wrote a chapter for Heidi's book, Digital Love? The chapter was titled, From Smoldering Justicar to Blue-Skinned Space Babe, A Sorry Sexuality in Mass Effect. And that is exactly our kind of thing. Honestly, it's like someone dreamed up a person that was perfect for our show and out came Alexandra. (laughs) I mean, that chapter and that book overall, if you haven't read it, some good soup. We hope you enjoy our awesome chat with Alexandra. And with that... Excellent. Then we have everything we need to open the pod. But yeah, it's so great to see y'all. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming. You're the perfect person for us to interview, I think. Yeah, I was so excited uh, looking through your previous episodes, like talking about all my favorite things. So, (laughs) yeah. Well, I think it would be good to start. We always want to have, you know, introduce yourself to our listeners, a little bit of background about you. Yeah, so uh, my name is Alexandra M. Lucas. Um, I've been working uh, in the video game uh, technology sector for about six years now. I've worked on just a variety of projects, which I think is a not an uncommon thing for kind of folks in the narrative realm of things. So I wrote for like Microsoft's assistant Cortana for a couple of years, so focusing on um, how the assistant responds to kind of like sexual harassment type uh, queries. So that's really interesting. Um, and also, yeah, worked on um, my most recent roles, writing um, interactive novels as a narrative designer for um, Maple Studios, so the Chapters app, um, and just, yeah, worked on narrative for a lot of different things from, um, you know, Match 3 Facebook browser games to, there was an MMORPG, um, those educational and teaching middle school age kids about ecology. That was really fun to work on, too. So, oh. yeah, it's kind of a bit about me. And romance is just, like, a deep passion of mine. My colleague that y'all talked to, Heidi McDonald, um, I contributed um, an essay to her book, Digital Love that y'all talked about. So my focus was on the Asari in Mass Effect. So, uh, and how the, they, the writers, it looks like they look to the triple goddess paradigm, uh, to, to build that race, uh, in some ways. So, and I thought that was really interesting. So. No, I absolutely loved your article on the Asari. And I don't know if you know this, um, but in the physical book copy that I got, your article starts on page 69, and it's just like the <laughs> so funniest oh, thing. <laughs> that brings me so much joy. Thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah, when I was, because um, Heidi suggested that we reach out to you, and then I know we connected on the Game Writer group, and then I was looking at your website, and all of the things, the romance and sexuality and Dragon Age origins and... You know, like you just said, the Asari sexuality article you wrote. I'm like, this is exactly what we want to talk about. Obviously, Dragon Age and Mass Effect are like, probably everyone comes back to them as some sort of standard for romance and video games. And I wonder if you might share what your thoughts are on either game or both games. 
what direction you went with what you've looked at into that? Yeah. Um, great, great questions. You know, I would say thinking back about, you know, my favorite romances and games, the one I always come back to is the Alistair mm-hmm. <laughs> one in Dragon Age Origins. Just like, yeah, so much love. Just because he really is like the first time I encountered sort of a romance option where he just felt like a real person, which I think, you know, charming and flawed and loyal. And yeah, I mean, just throughout that game, all the all the party members, like it was very hard for me to finish the game, actually, because it felt like I was saying goodbye to like real friends. But that's something that I think is a real strength in those the first three games they shift of the Dragon Age world. Um, I think there's a lot of love that's put <laughs> into making all the party members feel real, even when it starts to get, um, as you all probably know, uh, Inquisition, right? The party, you have a lot of party members in there. And so it, it does start to get big, but I still still think a lot of love is put in and still, um, you know, lots of opportunities for growth too, as far as character development goes. So, you know, another reason that Origins really caught my attention when I was first getting kind of into games was the the chance to romance people who are like of your same um, sex, which is like not, um, especially at that time, like what, 2010 or something, um, was maybe not necessarily that common or not really an option. So, and they've just expanded upon that um, as the games have progressed. So like, yeah, Dragon Age 2 is like the romance options were player sexual, which is interesting. And, you know, that's, that is a way to go. Um, and then seeing an in inquisition that they had, people had very specific preferences which again is like that's that's people mm-hmm. um so just made it feel like a very real world again so yeah i'd say my heart <laughs> was stolen by dragon age but i do i think mass effect has done a lot of wonderful things right too i think they you know explore the sci-fi space in a way like i just love seeing a matriarchal society like in the future that like gives me hope about the future in some ways but yeah, it's just an interesting take on the blue skin space babe kind of trope that usually goes in kind of a, a different direction than necessarily making them like the most intelligent and, you know, diplomatic species in the, the galaxy. So um, that is me talking a lot about them. I was like, I could talk about them forever, but I'd love to know if y'all have like favorite characters or romances in, in those games too. Oh, 100%. Well, my first Origins playthrough, I went with Alistair, but I think if... When I play it again, I found that Zev is, like, who I personally would romance in real life. And so I'm like, if I play it again, I'm definitely going that route. I love that. That's interesting how, like, as as you go back to replay it and, like, we get older and life changes, like, yeah, figuring out, like, actually, this is who I would be with right now. Like, just a total aside related to that. Like, I rewatched Cowboy Bebop recently, the, the anime uh, version. And when I was younger, I was like, oh, Spike, totally. But <laughs> as I'm 10 years later or whatever, I'm like a jet gal, 100%. So that's that was cool. Nice. How about you? I feel like I was just thinking about that because I felt the same way when I rewatched Cowboy Bebop. And I'm like, it's because Jet's the one trying to keep Spike in line. And now I'm like a responsible adult. And so that's sexy to me. <laughs> so that's sexy, I was being, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's like the dad of the ship. And... I just, I love that. And I'm the same way. I, I played Dragon Age Origins when it first came out and I was, I was still in high school. So I was like 16, 17. And I romanced Alistair. That actually was the first Bioware game I had ever played too. And so I had no idea, first of all, that games could be like the way I framed it because my mom was such a huge Lord of the Rings fan and she passed that down to me. 
I framed it as like, wow, this is like a fantasy Lord of the Rings-esque game. Like I'd never seen that before. And then you can romance people. And Alistair was the same maturity level as I was at the time, you know, like experience wise. I had never dated anyone. I was also a virgin. He was a virgin. It was so cute and adorable. So he captured my heart so much. And I feel like that's the same with everybody. It's always somebody from Mass Effect or somebody from Dragon Age Origins. That was their first favorite video game romance. And now, I mean, I think I still would <laughs> romance Alistair. But um, yeah, I I really did love him. He's my favorite. And I think going back to the Asari, though, I was thinking about this when you were talking. Because when I have the... um what's that called? Like the 25 years with Bioware book or whatever. And they talk about how they developed the Asari to be like that hot green alien from Star Trek trope. And I, that wasn't apparent to me as a young woman playing Mass Effect because I was, I just saw what, you know, their female presenting badass women. Like I didn't view them through that lens. And I think it's cool that you can view them through that lens, I guess, if you want, but other, you can also see them as, that matriarchal society. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I want to be in a sorry. Like I want to live in that world to live for a thousand years and have space magic. And then when I later, I took a, um, uh, it was like a world religions class in college. And that's when I started learning about paganism and stuff. And then that's when the triple goddess thing became with the maiden mother crone is in paganism. But then for them, they're maiden. What do they call them? Matron and matriarch. Matron and matriarch. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's, that's super cool, especially when I started learning about that. It's, it takes on a new meaning of how getting older is kind of something that society doesn't really want women to do. But for Asari, it's the best thing. Like, you become more powerful as you age. And, like, maidens are known to be crazy and sowing their wild oats. And then you don't become, like, a serious, awesome person until you become older. Was that something that you were looking into when you were looking to the Asari as well? Oh, yeah, that, that's such a good point. Yeah, the, you know, since Asari, when they start out in their maiden phase, right, they're like, they're either, they tend to be mercenaries or exotic dancers. Mm-hmm. And that, um, that's just like, yeah, that's fine. And you can look at it, like, I don't know, certain, like, one of the waves of feminism, right, looks at that as, like, wonderful and empowering. And I think that is certainly a view to take. Um, but you can also, there's also like a bit of like fan service that you can maybe look at there. But I think also something that, that Mass Effect does is like you can partake in that or not. Mm-hmm. Like you can, you can, I, if I'm remembering right, like you can engage in dancing with them or in <laughs> like that, that sort of part of the nightlife if you want to or not. And I, as I think about the times I've played through, like I don't know that I really, you know, did necessarily because that wasn't, it wasn't, that part of it wasn't for me. And that's fine. I think it, I think it's totally great to put in, or we see in the Dragon Age games too, like there are brothels you can go. And if you want to partake in that, that's great. And also it's cool that there are different options, like um, even starting with Origins, if I remember in the the Pearl. Yep. I was re- replaying it recently. I'm like, oh, I forgot that that, that was going out of the Pearl. But um, yeah, or you can, that can just not be a part of your experience. And I think that's very cool making it like content that you elect to to take part in or not. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I feel like that's remarkable too, because it's like, it's, it's content that like, you know, half like a, whatever, a chunk of the players are not going to play, but you put it in anyway for the the ones who are going to just like respecting like, hey, our player base is varied and wants different things. 
I definitely (laughs) sat down at the tables in the first Mass Effect game and I was like, all right, how far are they really going to push this scene? Because I, um, and so I'm sitting there. And you're very res- your shepherd is very respectful, and I was like, "This is exactly how it works in real life." You know, sitting there at their hands clasped in front of you, so that way you're not touching anything you're not supposed to. And then at the end, you actually tip, and I'm like, "Good, show that you need to pay people for their services." I appreciated that. And then yeah. going into the pearl, you can have any selection, and it's not gender locked at all. The only thing you shouldn't do is bring your love interest with you because they will get mad if you sleep with somebody while they're in the party. As I recall, Alistair did not care for that (laughs) with Isabella. I remember trying that many years ago. Oh boy, but fun that they let you try and see that maybe your love interest doesn't care for that. (laughs) You can invite him to join you and then he'll do that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is hilarious because you think of Alistair as like this little church going baby boy <laughs> and he's got a threesome going on <laughs> i i do like that because i mean i grew up also i probably shouldn't have at the age that i did but playing like grand theft auto and saints row <laughs> and like those games are clearly for boys right like they they don't give you much of an option there are missions that literally involve you going and hiring a prostitute or something i can remember at least one in grand theft auto 4 and saints row is it's just to another level mm-hmm. <laughs> but And I played them, but it was, that's why those like Mass Effect and Dragon Age made such a huge impact for me because I felt just as comfortable playing as a female warden or a female shepherd than probably my male counterparts did. It was the exact same. They could do the same things. Your gender really didn't impact what you could do in the game. And it was, it was just really awesome to see because I, I'm sure we're all of the same generation where we didn't have that when we were little. So it's just really nice to see that sort of thing. And I was wondering when you mentioned that, that you would like to see maybe them do different things or what you would have maybe want to see in the future for romance options. Do you have, I'm sure you have thoughts on how you'd like to see it progress. I mean, yeah, there's always, you know, an exciting thing about, about games and just like, you know, creative works in general. So there's always like another level to go to. So it keeps, makes life worth living, right? Um, art worth making. So you know, I'd say just medieval fantasy in general is quite white. And I think there's, uh, there are a lot of reasons for that, maybe. Um, but uh, I think, you know, one of them is sort of like diversity of the team, like having people working on the team who not, I, I know Bioware, um, I've read about them doing a good job of consulting, um, like, especially one of the characters, I feel like they did a great job with consulting on is Creme in Inquisition. So it's like the first um, at least, like, stated, open, like, trans man um, in the game. But, you know, voiced by a cis woman. She's like, you know, they're just like, like, little, like, it's not little, but I mean, it's things like that. Like, hey, you know, maybe next time voiced by, like, a trans man, that'd be great. Like, um, a show I'm, like, obsessed with right now is Owl House. And I'm just in love with um, the character Rain Whispers. I think they do a really good job of, like, they're actually, like, a trans person is voicing that character and they're they use they them pronouns without like no one talks about it. It's just like natural, like, yeah, that's, that's what they use. So that's how we refer to that person. But I think that type of thing, just really making sure the people who are voicing characters are like aligned with who the characters are. And also it would be, you know, it'd be nice to be able to romance characters who are 
you know, not necessarily white or white presenting. I think, um, like, I was very disappointed that uh, Vivian. Vivian, yes. Is it Vivian? Oh, yeah. You're welcome. Yes, Vivian. I feel like I know why they went the direction they did with her as far as, like, it's definitely cool to see a mage who's like, yeah, no, I'm a loyalist, actually, or what they have a category for mages who are all about that circle life. But it's kind of uncomfortable for, like, a, a black woman to be okay with, like, essentially slavery, right? Um, and also they went with, they just gave her, like, a shaved head instead of going for, like, showcasing her beautiful natural hair you know however she would wear her hair so those are things that like i am certainly not like the right person to be talking to about that but just things that i noticed are like oh you know i think they could take it to the to the next level maybe and she also was not romanceable which is another thing that was a little tear for me um just looking to like hey how are they pushing the envelope but i feel like they push the envelope in a lot of ways like dorian i believe is is not actually white there's like whole there's discussion about that I, I don't know but just even having characters who are like no i, I w- i'm only romanceable if like i'm a woman i'm only romanceable if you are a woman also or i i will only be interested in you if you are a human or or an elf in another case like i think that it was kind of like where they pushed the envelope in inquisition and so yeah just in the in the next game i hope they'll you know maybe broaden who's on the team and whose perspectives are getting represented and yeah, and really just kind of reject what um, medieval fantasy has kind of been forcing on us. Uh, you know, since, like, kind of probably stems from Tolkien, really, um, in our modern time, as far as, like, everyone is super white for some reason. I think people can also lean on, like, oh, it's historical, but, like, look at Bridgerton, man. <laughs> look at uh, The Great is another show that does it really well, I think, too. Just, like, or even uh, the Mary Queen of Scots movie that came out a couple of years ago, like seeing Gemma Chan is like, I think it was Mary's number two, like her handmaid. I was like, yes, thank you. Why? And she was stellar in that role. That was not, it was just like a small role, but she like killed it. Why are we not <laughs> um, kind of pushing it uh, to, to just make sure everyone's represented? Because I think that's part of like why we fell in love with the game too. We're like, yeah, I get to play as me. Mm-hmm. Um, or I get to play as like a character that feels like me. So why would we not continue to try to broaden it so everyone can feel that way? Yeah, definitely. I think that like people who say, oh, well, it's a medieval type setting. So, mm-hmm. you know, like back then, if you were, if you weren't like white, then you had mm-hmm. a much different position. You couldn't hold a level of prominence. And then it's like, well, this is medieval fantasy. So you can do whatever the fuck you want with it. Like, right. <laughs> People shoot fire from their hands, okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's fine. And also, and, I'm, like, I was just going to say, Alexandre Dumas, like, was a man of color, who is, like, the, you know, the source of, like, our Zorro and Batman stories, like, and also he wrote a love triangle story between a werewolf and a vampire, I kid you not, <laughs> like, hundreds of years ago. Just, there were amazing people of all kinds doing amazing things in history, like, I reject it, yeah. I'm going to need the name of that. that be famous. Yeah, I was like, I'd rather that be famous than Twilight. <laughs> that would have been way better. I'm sorry, I don't like Twilight. But <laughs> I was just going to say, like, I think the, the Eurocentric thing for medieval times is, is very weird because the whole world happened during the medieval times. Yes. You know? <laughs> and, like, it's it's actually not even true that it was just white people roaming around Europe. Like, people, as long as we've had civilization have moved 
and gone to other places. Like we even in the Viking age, we have evidence of non-white Vikings because Viking was just a job, not a race of people. And they went as far as Turkey and as far as North America. They went everywhere. And plus, like you said, medieval fantasy, what's wrong with just making it up? I do appreciate that the new, they're calling it like the new Lord of the Rings show for Amazon. It's coming out this September. It's supposed to be take place in the Second Age, but they're going into more of the world that Tolkien created because Lord of the Rings was just a very small area of the whole world that he made. And there were, you know, the, the way they cast it in the movie is, uh, in the movies was that everyone was very white and the, the Easterners the, with the Oliphants and stuff were vaguely Middle Eastern looking and they were the evil people. And they were the, the Easterners in the books were described as like darker skin, but they weren't always evil. So I'm glad that they're going more into like the rest of the diverse world that he made that isn't presented in the Lord of the Rings proper. They're, it's presented in all the extra works that no one reads, you know. So I'm glad that they're getting attention. And I've heard rumors that Dragon Age 4 has one non-binary companion member. Oh, awesome. I hope that that is the direction that we're going because it's just the way that it needs to be. Everyone's always existed at all times. And high fantasy is not just England. There's so many, so many more cool things around the world happening during the medieval times that we could look at too, or just have them there. Like with Bridgerton, no one's questioning anything. Everyone's just happy. You don't need an explanation. Just put them in there. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah, it depends like what your goals are, right? For your mm-hmm. for your art, like if you do want to be having that discussion, or if you just like this is a fun thing that we are just presenting for people. Like it's totally fine to have always be my maybe or like love Simon. Like it's fine. They're not like high art or whatever that means, but they're enjoyable content for people who don't necessarily get that content all the time so yeah it's just good to have to make things for a variety of people i that's really exciting to hear about potentially having a a non-binary companion in the next one oh man i love to hear that a book that i've been kind of diving into lately is is called queer magic and they are talking a bit about how a lot of the sort of priest-like figures in ancient societies were like trans folks which is just like the coolest (laughs) the coolest thing for me to learn and totally checks, you know, like straddling worlds and seeing things from multiple perspectives. Like I just, I think a lot would be gained for creatives too, like diving into the actual history um, instead of just assuming like what we see in pop culture is correct representation of history or like my husband <laughs> likes to harp on the leather armor thing that we see in a lot of uh, medieval fantasy types like Witcher and things. Um, actually, Witcher does a better job because he wears, I guess, Gamison, which is a more accurate like armor of the time. But just like leather armor is like not going to protect you from anything except like brambles, maybe <laughs> like blackberry brambles. Um, but yeah, we just because it, it kind of looks cool, we see it in, like Game of Thrones and stuff. So, but unfortunately, it's it makes people think like that's oh, that's historically accurate, right? So I think it's important to always be questioning what we're seeing in pop culture as far as like, is that the, the true representation, the best representation? Oh yeah. Lucina's armor was no way practical. Lucina's <laughs> armor. Oh my Lord. Yeah. Oh, I'll never forget. There's a some episode where she like flips out of a hole. She might do that multiple times, but <laughs> she's in a hole. There's no, she can't really jump or run up and just flips out. Uh, uh, Backflips specifically because yeah, those are, back. yeah. Yeah. It is a backflip. But, you know, fancy, right? Whatever. It's fine. But it's a, uh, is there, like, a release date for Dragon Age 4 yet? No. 
I often wonder about that, how it seems like games take so much longer to come out now than they used to. And I know things are much more complicated now, but I mean, it seems still longer than necessary. You know, I guess with Dragon Age 4 specifically with the whole EA MMO, oh, just kidding, we're going to make it single player again, start from scratch a couple years in, caused all that delay, but it's it's disappointing. I also want everyone in the games industry to get paid fairly and not have crunch time all the time, you know, and such burnout rates, it seems to be, especially for developers, it seems like the burnout rate is very high and turnover is very high. And there, so I hope that that gets better too, <laughs> that like everyone gets a good working environment. And part of that is diversity. Yeah, I, I think we're actually in a really interesting time prompted by, you know, a lot of big name studios being in the headlines for not so great things, uh, work practices, and, you know, remote work becoming a, a more common thing. I think we're actually in a really interesting time where workers have a lot more power than they've had before. Um, I will say I'm seeing like, well, you know, looking from a narrative perspective, I'm seeing like entry level writing jobs posted that I never saw posted publicly before, before the past like year or so. Just because I think they're, I think studios are trying, like reaching out uh, beyond, you know, kind of the, the like nepotism model or the, you know, go go with just who who you know or what's easy. Like, you know, posting a job posting to Reddit is primarily going to reach men, right? So like looking beyond that, <laughs> those types of spaces to find, you know, a mix of people to get a team because it like... It's just show like studies have just shown that like more creative work comes out of a team that is more diverse just because you've got like different ideas and experiences and perspectives, right? So like, how could you not? Um, and I think studios are starting to see that, thankfully. Um, but it probably, I wouldn't be surprised speaking of like games taking longer to develop though, if like particularly in the volatile past couple of years, it's meant studios have had to shift in ways that have definitely slowed things down. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure with time it will, hopefully even out. You'd think with access to more technology, it would make things easier for people, but it seems to also create more problems too. So it's constantly evolving. Funny how that works. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And then like you were saying, it, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that if you're hiring mainly white boys, white men, that your stories are going to look like that too, because it just inherently, I mean, I'm, I'm not a professional writer, but I have written in my past and everyone that I know who writes, writes from personal experience. So if you're just have a team of white men who are cis, that's what they're going to write about. And anyone else who doesn't fit that mold, they're not going to be very well written unless they actually try, like consult with other people or have someone on the team who is someone different, who has a different view. It just makes it easier to do that (laughs) if you just have them there already. A couple weeks back, we interviewed Helen and... Uh, their specific job is being a sensitivity reader and a oh, consultant on that. And they, we had a really great discussion on about how it really is a consulting job and reading through and going, hey, maybe not this point, but here's why. Or here are the tropes mm-hmm. that this can fall into. If, or if you elaborate more on this, then that will actually fit the narrative better. Oh, yeah, that's so um, that's so great to hear. That's so helpful. Definitely seeing a number of people um, emerging who are like such good um, consultants for that sort of thing. Like Tanya DePass is another really excellent one or uh, Dr. Toya Finley. Um, I would definitely recommend y'all reach out to them too. If you 
if you'd like to <laughs> chat with them about um, on here. Um, they're just both brilliant. Um, and that's one of them among their many talents. That's one of the things that they do super well, um, too. So, yeah, like something I would love to see, honestly, is like a, uh, a database that studios can go to to find consultants, like specifically for whatever they're working on. Like, hey, we've got a game um, that dives into like Muslim beliefs. Who can we talk to? Right. And that's not just any kind of thing you're looking for sensitivity reader or consultant like it can be difficult outside like your usual sphere um your personal sphere so i think having something like that would be great uh the problem would just be like the safety i would imagine of people because online can be interesting mm-hmm. uh for folks who do that so but i'm so glad to hear that um you were able to chat with her about that because that's um i'm sure she's seen a lot of things <laughs> seen some interesting things in the course of proofing stuff. Yeah. That's something that Helen brought up when we were doing the interview was that people will look at that kind of work and think it's restrictive. Like you can't write this or you can't write about this kind of person. And she was like, in my experience, uh, it's more like you need to add more, (laughs) like you need to elaborate on this fact, or you need to expand this idea, explain why this person's doing that, you know, so people understand And it's not just coming off. It's really easy to misinterpret something or have a trope fill something that you need because you don't know. So you need to add more or do more research. And I thought that was a great way of putting it because it's not censorship. It's literally more. It's more of a story, more content, you know. Another challenge apparently is that uh, some studios will not bring on someone like that early enough so they don't actually make a difference. They're, they'll read the finished product and be like, hey, I flagged these as potential pitfalls. And they'll be like, okay, thanks. And do nothing with it because they've already made the game. They've already done, you know, like they, they need to do that process earlier on so that they're not having to rework or they just don't rework at all. And they're like, all right, I guess we'll prepare for this outrage when the game comes out, you know, not oh, the way to do yourself. it. yourself. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, that's a really good point. Like, it would be way more beneficial to have, like, a check-in, like, at Milestones or something. Just some periodic, like, hey, here's draft one. What do you think? Because it's so much easier to fix them than at the end. And you're just like, okay, I guess now we have to come up with, like, a PR strategy for this. Which is more of, like, wasted work, right? Instead of just, you could have fixed it earlier. Oh, man, that breaks my heart a little bit. That, yeah. That brought into That's really something good. when we interviewed Ben Sabin who is a narrative designer in England and by activist. And he was saying that that's the challenge is then they don't want to do that work. And there's just no representation because they're just like, they'll either tack it on at the end and it's not meaningful or they'll just cut it. It's frustrating because it's like, there's so many easy solutions to make it better. And it's really, it's frustrating for me to hear when people say like, Oh, the world is so hard to do anything. in now because everyone's just getting so mad and, you know, it comes from the other side, too, because Ben says he's had experience where they'll write a game and there'll be a bi character, for instance, who, you know, is a not nice person. And then the LGBTQIA community will get mad and be like, you guys can't write that. They have to be a saint. You know, that's the bi representation in our game. And you made them a horrible person. Like, how could you do that? And he's like, no, what we're doing is we're writing real people. Like, that's the goal. <laughs> the goal is to just have real people existing. There has to be some give on both sides to allow for that because that is reality. Not everyone is a saint. Almost no one's a saint. Yeah. Oh no, that's that's so real that it even harkens back to like 
you know, when you see, I think in like older films, like the one woman in the film is like the sage, right? It's like totally a thing that unfortunately happens. Or I think I saw something like almost every best actress, like Academy Award winner, it was either either for being a saint or a sinner, like hardcore one way or the other, which is interesting, but that's a whole different, I don't know, I will go off on a total tangent, but we love tangents. Yep. (laughs) That's part of our motto. Uh, tits, tats, turians, and tangents. Tits, tats, and tangents. All the important things. No, I think, yeah, the, the a way to get around that, right, is to just, like, have multiple live people up in there, right? So that is the a thing I've tried to do, like, working on stories at chapters is, like, okay, if I'm going to have my villain potentially be, like, a POC, you know, oh, I always make sure, actually, my character, like, um, Part of my job is, like, picking art for all the characters, and so something that I'm just personally invested in is, like, okay, I want, a, like, a variety of a cast here. So, yeah, just it's never, like, well, this is the one, like, Latino person, and they're, like, the villain, right? That's just never going to be a thing I'm going to let happen. Um, but that is, you know, kind of moving away from checkboxes. You're right. It's, like, making sure everyone is, like, a real full person. And also that it's not about whatever the thing that like makes them deviate from whatever the mainstream is like their character isn't just all that <laughs> you know like othello ugh, shakespeare i don't know but othello like there's a lot of like that his darkness comes from his you know like there's a lot of like lines that are really problematic that are like obsessive about that it's like no it's just like yeah I'm confused jealous husband man <laughs> that's mm-hmm. ultimately the character which is way more interesting than any of those lines so that's it's really tough to you mentioned that like that's a problem just like publishing in general i feel like i remember the i think it's the love simon author she had to like out herself because everyone was like oh like us like a straight white woman writing about like lgbt characters that's not okay and she was like okay i'm bi i didn't want to like tell the world this but i am can we stop now and that's just man that's that breaks my heart too because that was just like not something she wanted to share uh, but felt she had to to stop getting like hate online. It's tough. I'm not sure how to re- how to remedy that. Like kind of yeah, both sides. When you were talking about that, it made me remember something that's like the a huge challenge. I think because I've heard like okay, the problem is you know having diverse characters, but also diverse cast members. Yeah. For instance, um, in the Uncharted series, oh gosh, I can't remember her name now. But there's a Black South African woman in Uncharted 4 and the DLC. Uh, Laura Bailey, a white woman, plays her and they cast her because she could do a perfect convincing South African accent. And she apparently was perfect for the role. And when she showed up the first day to record, because it was also um, motion capture, she saw the concept art for the first time and saw that she was a black woman that she was playing. She had no idea. And when I posited this to Helen, Helen was like, easy way to resolve that have the concept art and the character developed before you cast the character or cast the person who's going to be playing the character and on the other hand like i believe that's true but i also think i don't know if forever we could limit actors to only playing who they are as people especially for voice acting because I, I know there are some voice actors who are like, I went into voice acting because I didn't want to always be cast as the Latina woman or whatever, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's this huge challenge that I have no idea what the solution is. Clearly, I think one step in the right direction is to have solid concept of your character before casting, because that way you know who you're trying to find. 
and that you could avoid that situation because, you know, Laura Bailey, it wasn't her fault necessarily. She got the job, but she got a lot of flack for it. I don't know if the studio got flack for that. On the other hand, maybe we do need to limit the casting choices until it's more representative, because I do think that casting in games tends a lot more towards white people, at least in my experience, especially in big AAA games. It seems like there's a small pool of actors that continually get cast in these big roles, and you don't really see new people coming in. I guess my question is, like, as someone in the industry, I'm sure you've thought about this, or like you've mentioned, you've tried to handle that a little bit in your conceptualizing. Man, that's that's a really good, you know, problem to point out, and I would say it kind of works, like, it works one way, but not the other way. If diverse folks can voice, like, white characters splendidly go for it and then i think when we're going the other way it's sort of like did you try did you try to find you know someone who matches that character so i think that's sort of like one piece of it like you were saying branching out of like it is literally like 15 of the same if you look at like miyazaki films like if you look like it even across from video games into other just things that have been made since kind of like the 80s and 90s it is like the same people and they are stellar i'm sure they're amazing to work with and i hope they continue you know getting work and doing their thing but it is very like weird if i hear like a trailer i'm like oh was that steven bloom like varick like again you know i love his voice but it's like else who else we got out there like, like there's so many emerging talents or established talents that just like yeah that'd be cool give a couple of different people a shot again especially because remote is a thing people have their home studios yeah i have a friend in vancouver who just like he does all his voice acting work from his like studio in his home there like great i think also it's totally great to make the character look like the actor um, one case of this that I thought was really cool was in, uh, I don't know if y'all have seen the newest version of Voltron, Legendary Defender. Um, it's a, I believe it's DreamWorks and it's on Netflix, but there's a character who is a like space elf, space elf princess. Um, and because the voice actor, uh, Kimberly Brooks is a black woman, they made the character a black space elf princess. Which I just remember when that came out, you know, a couple of years ago, I was like, I've not seen, you know, elves are typically like Mm -hmm. super white. Um, And so just seeing how I was like, man, she is so beautiful and she sounds great. And like what and such a powerful and cool character. Like she's such a good character and the voice acting is stellar. And I just thought when I yeah read that they like tailor the character to look like the voice actor, I was like, why? Let's do that. (laughs) And, you know, shake up the the established tropes and also like probably make the voice actors feel pretty cool. Like it's like how we do some video games do like uh mocap of the voice actors, like uh, Elliot Page in, but there was a, a, a PlayStation three or something game, right. That you're thinking of. I think I remember what game that was. They made the character look exactly like him. Exactly like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you, I, I, I know you're, you're talking about the exact thing I'm thinking of. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my gosh, wow. It looks exactly like him. But, yeah, so why not do that with I, with animation, especially, like, it, you know, if we're talking expense-wise, like, <laughs> it, you know, doing it for animation versus, like, CG or, like, 3D, I, I think it's a lot more... I think it's very doable, um, I, I hope, uh, as far as the budgets that people have. But you're right, I think, uh, like, ultimately the heart of it is, like, have them involved in the beginning. <laughs> That's, like, the running theme of, I think, our chat today, really. But um, I was just thinking about when you were talking about mocap, like, um, I'm not sure why they didn't do this 
I'm not sure who they cast for Dina in Last of Us Part 2, but I remember the face model for Dina had like this Let's Play series on YouTube about her playing through the game. And I thought that that's like a step in the right direction, Ooh. I think, is that um, like studios like Naughty Dog and I think um, Gorilla did this for Horizon, like Forbidden West and Zero Dawn. They took real people's faces and just scanned them in. So they have like mm-hmm. great diversity of characters. I don't know about the actors, okay. but the characters look amazing because they're real people's faces that they just put in there. And there, yeah. there's a lot of How diversity cool in both. Yeah, it's 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 like we have we have the technology, <laughs> like we can do this. <laughs> yeah, I, it's like uh, like you're saying. I think it's about finding creative ways to use what we have. A couple years back was like there was one studio that I will not name that was like uh, women are too hard to model or something. It's just like what <laughs> what is that about? Um, or thing you know, just arguments that it's like, oh, it's too expensive to have variation. I think it's like the ultimate argument, and it's like, is it if we have a process down, like you're saying, like the scanning of your face? We've had that technology actually for a long time. I remember like FIFA games; they would like scan like real soccer players' faces in a lot more when it was like it was on Candy Valley at first. But that's how technology works. So. Yeah, they even get like the tattoos right now. They get scary. They look oh, super real. Cool. That's that was my whole experience playing Horizon Forbidden West because they did such an amazing job. I don't know how many people they got to do the faces and stuff. Some of them, like I think Aloy, the main character, her voice actor is Ashley Birch, and she kind of resembles Ashley oh, Birch yeah. a little bit. So I think they, you know, based Aloy's face off of her a little bit. But other people. Not so much Zero Dawn because it's a few years old now, but I played Forbidden West on PS5 and there are a huge range of ages as well as um, there is at least one trans character that I remember from the game. Not a main character, but it's a big side quest that you can do. And they're like the quest giver. Um, And there's people like when there's like an old man and you can see like all his wrinkles on his body, not just his face. There's clothes are all wrinkled they look like real linen or cotton and you can see small wrinkles on their face and they make really convincing expressions like i was in awe because all i ever wanted when i was a little girl was a game that looked real and we got to that weird place when i was younger where the cutscenes looked great but the actual gameplay wasn't you know and now we're finally where it's seamless and it's only going to get better and so i'm seeing this and i'm like this studio did it you know they they have none of the bodies look the same like, they all look totally different. It's not, and I know, no no shade to Bioware, because this was years and years ago, but, like, they had, like, a couple of body models that they just pasted different faces on. In Andromeda, especially, was super lazy with the character modeling, I feel like. And to go from that to this, like, it's so promising, and clearly we can do it, and it pays off. I know everyone's obsessed with um, Elden Ring right now, but a lot of people really mm. love Forbidden West. Yeah, you know, I think that they think they made their money back you know we might as well invest in that yeah yeah i mean people notice right when you put in those extra details and also when you don't uh when i was replaying origins recently my spouse hasn't seen it that was just some games he didn't come across and he was just like why does that older woman have like enormous boobs like right like when yeah when they slapped on just like the standard model which i mean i guess she could look like that but everyone looked like every woman looks like that Mm -hmm. so it's like Mm -hmm. weird I didn't even know um, she was supposed yeah. to be an old woman because she didn't have like any wrinkles at all. Her hair was just gray. Yeah. And I was like, is that just 
like her hair is just gray. I didn't realize she was old, and she kept talking about how old she was. I'm like, how old are you? <laughs> uh, but yeah, you good point. Like that's what they had at the time, right? So they're, they're doing what they could. But yeah, it's. I think we're headed to just like a really interesting merging of like I don't. Will we need live actors anymore? Like in general, um, an interesting merging of of games with like movie and TV entertainment. I know that like the Bandersnatch thing was interesting. I feel like I was like dipping a toe in what interactive like film could be, but it. Uh, I do think there's a future in that. I'm not sure how, but I mean, yeah, like I don't know that live actors will, or re- like people will need to be there necessarily. So yeah, the future is exciting, scary, and exciting. <laughs> All right. I think this is a good little spot to take our mid-break. So let's go to the mid-break dance. (laughs) Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you to our newest Patreon, Lizzie. A million times thank you, you hopeless romantic you. Hope to see you on our Patreon chat coming up at the end of the month. The last Friday of every month is when you can join us on our Patreon chats for anybody uh, who signs up at that tier or higher. (laughs) And also shouting out all of our hopeless romantics, Captain Shanko, Apollo, Lizzie, Toasty, Bat Knight, Wynn, Mystheos. (sighs) You all are amazing. Big love. Major thanks. Other than thanks to patrons, which you did beautifully, as per usual. <laughs> All right. Short and sweet tonight. Let's get back mm-hmm. to it. I would absolutely love it if I could do, like, my own face scan. Let my yeah. next, like, big player character be my actual face. Like, use somebody else's oh body. God. That's fine. But let me scan my face in. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, yeah. How far away from that, really? Like, honestly. like Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, it all comes back to like being able to customize and just make it feel, then we get really invested, right? Like, even just customizing, thinking back to like Origins or Mass Effect One, like very basic customization that was available then, like, you still got attached. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah, thinking of what, you know, what we hope to see in. Dragon Age 4 and, and just future games like more like body type options I think was something I meant to mention earlier too that would be grand and just like more like body type representation I do think 4 or and 3 they started with that with some of the party members but yeah just like lots lots of opportunities to to uh, give people more customization options yeah the sims have been around forever we clearly mm-hmm. can make mm-hmm. like chubbier characters or thinner or buffer characters we should be able to do that mm-hmm. in our rpgs too because i know i mean i don't know if i am the base model for all women who play games but i know that there were times when i was young and i'd be playing a game and i'd be like man i wish i looked like my character because i always tr- I always wanted to make a character that was essentially me, just that would fit into the world. Then I'm like, I don't look like my character. Now I feel kind of bad about my body because my character's so thin or or she's curvy. But then, you know, like aesthetic. And I just, it'd be nice. Fable kind of did that, but they shamed you for it because you got fatter Mm. if you ate. And it would just like keep track of your weight and have like a 
thin overweight slide scale. Oh, oh yeah. my god. What? That's, that's the only game I can remember that had like an opportunity wow. to play as a character that was chubbier and not just thin. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, I, I assume other games, if you're playing as a person and you're not like there's no character creation, sure, whatever. But you know, if you're character creating, you might want to add some more body types, like you said. Something I noticed, I don't know if a lot of people noticed this, between Horizon Zero Dawn and Forbidden West, like they got obviously way better graphics and much more realistic. But Aloy, she had more redness around her cheeks and her nose. Like, mm-hmm. I'm of Celtic origin. I, I have rosacea. And that's basically what she had too. And I'd never seen that in a game. And it was so mm-hmm. awesome because I'm looking at her and I'm like, she's so awesome and badass. And I'm like, well, maybe my redness isn't so bad. You know, and that's, just, oh. that's such a little thing, but it was so, so I cool to see. It. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so happy about that for you though. Seeing our <laughs> that's like, that's what it is. And it's not a huge, it's not a big adjustment on their part. They're making the art anyway. Like, oh, that's so wonderful. I'm glad that like, touched you and was something that it felt was there for you yeah well it's realistic because it's like not everyone wakes up and has completely poreless flawless skin you know especially (laughs) in a dystopia in the future where they're like tribal communities fighting for their lives it's like they have time to put on some war paint but that's about it so it was really nice (laughs) to see like even when she had like the war paint on they didn't smooth out her skin like she still had the freckles and she still had the redness and even like some darker under eyes which is like common for paler people like me and I was just really cool to see because I've never seen that and growing up not seeing that I was like my skin's messed up my skin's normal for me you know like it's not messed up it's just I didn't know what it that other people had it so just one tiny example (laughs) yeah I mean that feels like someone on the team was like it's it's details like that right that just having like a mix of people on the team or investing in consultants or investing in research too like as a valid part of the narrative development process like i mean things like up until maybe a few years ago when i would tell men like yeah women's clothing doesn't pockets it's really annoying they would be like surprised right because they just don't that's not their clothing they don't know um but it's little things like that that just you don't know unless you're like in that group whatever that group is um that are like so obvious to, to us who are in it but not to people who are not living that experience every day or things like oh my god like I don't know if y'all seen the documentary hair before, but just looking at like the thousands of dollars that like some black women spend on making their hair like fit the whatever mainstream BS is just like horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, that the, yeah, that society's like pressured them to like do that. But it's something that I didn't know. Yeah. I'm annoyed. I have to like get my hair done, <laughs> like whatever, every few months, like just looking at that, like echo, like financial and like just like, personal stress burden it's just like bro- broke my heart to see it but didn't you know didn't know about it because it's not my experience so yeah just it's important to i think also an important part of like working on narrative and anything whether you're it's games or writing or whatever it's just to always be researching too like hence all my like tangents about oh yes this documentary <laughs> i watched or this book i read just because i'm always trying to like uh learn about people who aren't me because mm-hmm. that's a lot of people <laughs> A lot of different types of people. That's key. I, in a past life of mine, I was in the military as a linguist, and um, it, I took to learning the. I learned Korean, and I took to learning Korean very well. I, I enjoyed it so much, and a lot of people struggled with that. And they would ask. They, I remember one time 
someone in my class like how do you just like learn it so well I'm like i pretend i'm a kid like remember when you were a kid and you were just curious uh-huh. about everything and that's how i mm-hmm. just do life too especially now that i have a kid and i see the world through her eyes too now and it's like that everyone would do so much better if they think of things in that way because it's not bad to not know stuff what's bad is assuming that you do know stuff mm-hmm. and we in fact don't know much at all like we always <laughs> have to learn no matter what kind of degree you have or how long you spent learning something there is always more to learn you can't possibly yeah. know everything about everything especially about stuff that you don't experience like you said like yeah maybe you should ask someone or google and hear someone's point of view like ted talks is a thing and like oh yeah there's so many people willing to share their per- point of view and experience and it's always really good. That's that's the same thing. I, I did watch that documentary, but I didn't really know until I moved to San Diego. And in college, I met my friend Bree. She is black and she keeps her hair natural. And we always talk about our hair routines. Like we still to this day, she'll call me. Sunday's her hair washing day. I had no idea how much time it took to wash natural hair. Like my hair, when I get under the shower, instantly wet. Not the case for her. My hair takes like an hour to dry. Not the case for her. Like she has to spend hours drying her hair and I would never know. And in fact, cause I have like vaguely wavy, curly textured hair, not like hers, obviously, but like I learned better ways to take care of mine because of her. You know what I mean? Like just exchanging stuff like that. And then because my hair is pale blonde, I remember I was talking about how, oh, I really like this hair oil because it's clear. It's not like a lot of hair oils have like a color and it'll transfer into my hair. And she's like, I would have never thought of that. Like that's a stupid example, but you know what I mean? Just little stuff like that. It's really fun to share. That's something I learned also as being a linguist. I went to Korea and just sharing culture. That's it's what it's supposed to be there for. You're supposed to share it. And it's wonderful when you do that. Yeah. I mean, it's so, um, yeah, that's so cool that y'all share like hair tips and just have helped you to like learn things you wouldn't have thought about before. Like, man, yeah. And it's just, I like that, uh, attitude of like thinking about learning just as if you're you're a kid again because there's no pressure there's no like i have to be really good at it if you're learning a new skill or i have to know everything about it it's just like oh what's what's this oh that's such a nice attitude i love it it's like speaking of other cultures my spouse and i have been getting so netflix has very extensive like international content Mm -hmm. um so we're getting really into there's a show called midnight diner it's set in tokyo i love midnight diner (laughs) Yes, yeah, so cute and relaxing. Oh, it's so sweet. Yeah, I just I love like I love to cook and bake too. So just like having every episode focus on a dish is cool and like what that dish means to the people who go there. And then just like learning about like Japanese culture is just not something that I'm informed about. Um, my husband has lived there for a time, and that's he has more experience with that for me uh, than I do. And I'm like, oh, why are they, you know, why are they doing that? Or what's that about? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's the cultural attitude that's this or something. It's just like really, or another even diving into like Bollywood and like Tollywood movies um, too on there. Just like there's some that are just so cool and it's different, different culture from your own, man. It's just, uh, yeah, it's important to get out of your kind of, I don't know, comfort zone for lack of a better term uh, when you're checking out new content. Oh, yeah. If we watch the same things over and over again, we're not experiencing anything new and we're not going to get anything from it. I mean, yeah, I have my guilty pleasure shows that I go back to, but I always try and get something new in between. Yeah, that's another like like game industry thing that has been interesting. I am 
30, huh? Um, and, <laughs> but when I turned, when I turned, when I was 29 and my 30th was approaching, I remember feeling definitely like a dread, right? I think there's a lot of pressure that gets just put it on like women in society, but like particularly in tech, there's a lot of like, if you haven't made it big and made it on those like 30 under 30 lists, then like give up. And it was, uh, yeah, it was illuminating to see that, you know, no, that's not the case at all. Actually, like we're talking about with the Asari too, you're like, life just kind of gets better in a, in a lot of ways. Or you kind of level up in a lot of ways. Like, you know more about what you want and the person you want to be and what you want to do and the life you want to live. So all that is power. Oh, yeah. 22-year-old me had no idea what she was doing. Like, <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God early 20s versions of ourselves wish i could go back and tell them things but yeah i mean you're just figuring stuff out of them right Mm -hmm. trying things yeah which is also great part of games when we're putting ourselves in in role-playing situations right like often the characters they seem to be sort of early mid-20s you know that seems to be the standard but that's like that can be an exciting time when it's okay to you know date different people and make mistakes and and try things out and it, it works or it doesn't or you like it or you don't or and also like you know make make some of those mistakes that you can't take back but are just like really big learning experiences for you that are important to have so um another reason to be able to like really put our i think it's that i keep thinking of like putting our face our faces yes. on our characters like to really just feel like you're having that experience um and yeah, like another, just bringing it around to Dragon Age, like something that I think is really great about the Bioware games is that you can save, right? Mm-hmm. So like, my strategy was always like, save right before a big conversation, like if you can, if you know it's coming, and right, like, oh, I'll try, you know, try these responses. Oh, that reaction wasn't great. <laughs> I'm going to go back and try that again. But I think it's oh, important because yeah. like how often in life we wish we had one of those do over buttons, yeah. Do over buttons would be oh, if I could save scum in real life. <laughs> wow. Um <laughs> definitely a few conversations would have gone differently. Um oh, yeah. That's part of the fun of it being video games and being able to go back and it's like, okay, that really did not do what I wanted it to do, or that reaction mm-hmm. was completely unexpected. And you can either continue on with that decision and find out how it affects things later on in the game. Where you can go back and be like, no, I really do regret the way that I treated this person. Let me go back and, yeah. I guess, not make amends, but make it as if I never said it. Yeah, absolutely. It gives you a chance to like feel out what it's like. I think I even had a playthrough of Origins where I sort of romanced Alistair and Zevron at the same time. Mm-hmm. And oh, as it progresses, I guess it's to a point where it's like, oh, this is uncomfortable. I want to have not <laughs> done that. Um, and yeah, just reload that save, right? I think there's also, you know, the uh, the games are big, right? Like 60 plus hours, big as far as just like time. Um, and there are definitely sometimes when you click something and click a choice and what happens is like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Or I didn't quite get telegraphed like that that was going to happen if I chose that choice. Um, so that's also sort of a fail safe for like, hey, maybe if... Uh, a choice that a dev made doesn't quite make sense, actually. It, with the information that you're given, you can like go back and kind of 
redo. Yeah, there are all sorts of reasons, but I think Bioware is pretty good at, um, I do think they're pretty good at letting you know <laughs> what you're going to get when you pick, especially kind of later on when it's like literally, if you choose this, it will end the romance <laughs> or mm-hmm. Fenris or whatever, so... That reminded me of the first time that I encountered that where what was said on the screen really did not match the scene. And uh, that was uh, the consort in Mass Effect 1 where all the line is just simply, is that everything? And then mm. she's like, oh, no, that's not. I guess I'll sleep with you too. And it was like, I was not expecting that after. Is that everything? Is that all you wanted to tell me? <laughs> Yeah, that's ah, frustrating <laughs> uh, when that happens. But yeah, yeah, that's tough. I do. I think there's a really big focus on letting people know, like in the, you know, looking at the rom- interactive romance novel space, like, especially since our mechanics are just like words, <laughs> like the choices, basically. Um, yeah, we got to let you know what you're going to get. Otherwise, people pay for it and they're frustrated because they didn't get what they thought they were going to get. So yeah, it's an interesting thing that I think, especially as as games are getting more complicated or having a more of like a microscope on them, I think uh, studios are really focusing on letting you know, or especially when you've got the free to play model, when you know people are gonna just stop playing if they buy something and it's not what they thought they were gonna get. That's what I was thinking of earlier when we were talking about wishing we had like a do over or we could tell our younger selves in a way. Like with video games, they're increasingly used as educational tools. And also just even, um, gosh, like recreational games are also educational. (laughs) Like I've learned a lot from playing video games. And I think that's what's so cool about your job is even just interactive story games. Those are kind of ways that you can tell your past self in a way that you're telling younger people, you know, like they can it's a safe way to experiment with stuff because you can save and also you can get exposed to a lot of different stuff and that's that's you like you writing the story it's so cool oh yeah it's like such a nice i don't know i guess sandboxy sort of experience right to just sort of like oh i'll try out these things or or kind of like you're saying too like opportunities to teach just games i mentioned the like game i worked on a while back about teaching kids about ecology like a part of that was I, was, I had to research different con. I was given a concept and I was like, yeah, I'm going to research that and see how I can make a fun quest out of learning about it. Or in the context of interactive novels, like the very first one I worked on for Crazy Maple was set in Ireland, which was cool, but somewhere that I didn't know a ton about aside from like pop culture things. And so I use it like every couple chapters I taught like the player, like a Gaelic word like within the narrative just like okay can indeed people things are to you know i research the culture and try to share some things related to that too just because it's yeah it's an opportunity to let people know about something that they might not know about um or uh you mentioned like learning like actually learning things from the games we're playing that aren't necessarily meant to be like i actually know what certain flowers look like because of skyrim like because they're just brought around and collected whatever thistle and lavender like some of the flowers that are the real flowers like oh, okay i can totally spot that <laughs> uh, because of that game i think my spouse said the same thing but with witcher so it's just like it's so cool what we can pick up like sort of incidentally <laughs> from just like the same you know the same action over and over that we're just doing and 
now we have that in our knowledge base. So yeah, it's, I think it's important to look for those opportunities when we're uh, making art for sure. Absolutely. I know somebody, Pipe Man, our music creator, uh, speaks Gaelic. And yeah. so it'll be really interesting oh, to cool. send him that information and be like, hey, there's a game. You should play it. Yeah, I started learning it on Duolingo because my family is Scottish and Irish. I, I grew up very immersed in like the American, Irish, Scottish cultures. So for me, you know, when I'm reading, there's like a huge movement right now for especially romance novels with having like fae princes and stuff and and having like that kind of mythological lore in stories. And even in, in Mass Effect, like Mass Effect 3, they had the Banshees, which are Banshee. And like, I knew what that was immediately. But I'm like, it's cool that someone who wouldn't know maybe would learn that from a game, you know, or like a story. I wouldn't personally want to get taken away by a fae prince, but you know, there's a lot of people who do. <laughs> like, I don't, so you mentioned like you thought about the Twilight and it's like not for you, but I'd be curious to hear like how, how you would like maybe like improve on it or what you'd like to see in it, like in like the next, its next version, whatever that'll be. I, I thought about this a lot actually, because yeah. I do read, I did, I did read Twilight when it first came out and I just, it wasn't so much the story that I disliked. It was mainly like, I didn't think her writing style was good. Like I just, I didn't all That's all. Like I did watch the movies, but I think that the book was, I don't know. Actually, I just didn't really care for the level that all my friends did, but I don't know. Now that mm. I'm an adult and I've read like those SJ Moss books I've read, I do love them, but especially in like a court of thorns and roses, there's the, the main love interest is like a thousand year old Fae Prince guy or um, yeah. High Lord of the Night Court. <laughs> That's what that's called <laughs> in the book. <laughs> Love that. And and she Love. is like nineteen, and it's always like a teenager, right? They're not even in their twenties. But these ancient immortal beings who can kill you. And I often wonder if it's not something to be said for us as women living in a world that's so dangerous to us, especially from men. Yeah. That that's why it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like the psychology behind why a lot of women like true crime. You know, we love yeah. hearing about that stuff, not because we're macabre or whatever. Like we we kind of learn it. We want to learn from it. Like, what did that woman yeah. do so that I don't do that? And I wonder if there's yes. not something like that with these fascinations with these ancient men who are dangerous, falling in love with mm-hmm. the most vulnerable type of a woman who's not like a child still. She's at the end of her childhood, but at the beginning of her womanhood. Mm-hmm. So it's not like pedophilia, but it's kind of close to that, you know? Like, he, there, yeah. I can't comprehend what an a thousand-year-old person would think or believe or look for in a lover, but it's just hard for me to swallow that. Like, when I'm reading it and I'm enjoying it and stuff, but then I stop and think about it for real, I'm like, that makes me uncomfy. <laughs> like, I wouldn't want a thousand-year-old yeah. man who could kill me or have magic powers beyond my ability be my lover. Because also it always ends up being like, she's got to be protected. And in the case of the SJ Moth books, she ends up becoming Faye herself and getting magic and being super strong, but it came from him. And like, I don't know, it reads a little like Eve came from Adam's rib type of bit to me. Mm. So I'm like, is that, is that something we want to keep forever? Like, is what's the internal lesson there that we're getting. So I don't really know. I don't think it's enough to just be like, okay, let's just switch it and have a 19 year old man and 
a high lady of the night court, you know, <laughs> like a thousand year old female fae. I'm not sure if that's like good either. It's just, it's weird. I, I don't know. Obviously people are still going to want to digest that. I've read it, but I don't know what the future would be. Cause even like the harem ones, like I, the reverse harem ones, what they're called where they're like multiple men with one woman. Like, I guess yeah, fine. Um, but it's still the root of the problem, I guess, is just like, we are so attracted to something that makes us feel unsafe inherently. It's weird. I don't know. Oh yeah. I think there's totally appeal. in like, you're the only one that he, you know, like you're the, this powerful, scary beings, like one weakness or whatever. I yeah. Think that's like, like you're the special chosen oh. one. Yeah. That's yeah. definitely appealing like, too. There's deep appeal. Um, but you're right. Mentioning the like Eve form from Adam's rib part, like, a lot of these stories are sort of, this is at a time before the woman has decided what her life is going to be. Like, I don't think about when I was 19, where you're not, if you had told 19 year old me that I, my life would be where it is now, I'd be like, what? Like joking. And so like, like thinking of Bella and Twilight specifically, it was like, she kind of just like waved her school work away. And, like, never had a, like, oh, I want to be whatever when I grow up or after I finish college or whatever, you know, whatever life path she could have been on. It was just not discussed. And it was, like, it almost rings to me, like, the whole your story ends when you get married (laughs) thing that, like, um, marriage plot or whatever it's called. Like, yeah, a woman's story ends when she gets married and that's it. It's not even a marriage plot. It's, like often with Twilight and with the S.J. Moss books I was thinking of, it's usually like a faded mates type of thing. Like you said, like, you are the one for me, the only one. I've gone through eternity and never found anyone like you. They have the rapid, very deep involvement, which I would argue is codependency. And then it usually ends with she's pregnant. Like, that's the ultimate end. You become a mom. And for me, Mm. it's it's uncomfortable because I had my child when I was 27. And that was, I mean, I wasn't ready then, but I'm looking at this, like Bella's fresh out of high school. Um, whatever her name is yeah. in A Court of Thorns and Roses, she gets pregnant. She's like 19. There's no, like what? Wow. That, and then they're always okay with it. They're always like, this is who I am. I, my child, all of a sudden I have like these huge maternal instincts. This was ma- meant to be because we're fated mates. And it's like, yeah. what? A 19 year old? Like you're, that's it. Yeah. Happily ever after. I don't know. Yeah, it's just weird you that that's even the Mhm. Because there's a lot of women who don't want children. Totally valid. And yeah, that's another part of it. it it's kind of like rejects the not having children as an option part too. I would be very curious to see if whatever, like baby bot stories are like on the rise as we're in a time where more and more women are just like voicing that desire that they the women have always had, I'm sure. Uh, the, I'm sure a significant percentage of women have always had that feeling, but not been, felt like they could voice it. But I wouldn't be surprised if we're seeing media like push against it as part of assorted agendas uh, to try to stop that. It's interesting. I remember seeing this, I don't know if like related, a study a while back about how the number of zombie and vampire movies fluctuates based on whether we we have a Democrat or a Republican in office. Mm-hmm. I guess like one one creature's fears are tied to like each party. Um, but yeah, that's our 
their media has advancements, but also pushed back too, which is important to remember, I suppose. Yeah. I have so many thoughts on everything that was just discussed about like the Twilight era and like the vampire age gap and things like that. I love to hear whatever you feel like sharing. Yeah. One of the book series that I've read that has done a really good job about like why this you know, thousand year old vampires able to interact with, you know, the 20 somethings around him was the fact that every 50 years or so they go to sleep and they hibernate for like another 20, 30 years. So yes, I've been alive for, you know, 3000 years, but every time that I wake up, my brain has reverted back to, I still have all my memories, but my personality has reverted back to where I was when I, when I got turned. So I'm like that 20-year-old again. I'm able to interact with these people in this new age because of that. And then only when I really start thinking about or if a memory gets triggered from my past, that's when I can start to recall those memories and things like that. So I think that there are ways to have these supernatural creatures that can interact realistically with younger characters. And then there's another book series that I read um, from J.R. Ward and Sherilyn McQueen. And nobody is under the age of like 27. And so it is all true adult novels set with adult characters doing some very adult things. But, uh, you know, it just makes it so that way there is that level of media out there where it's not teenage love anymore. I had to stop reading, you know, YA novels because I'm like, I am sick of it always being little 17 year old girl gets trapped in a love triangle and now has to decide on which boy is going to be my destined forever before I even graduate from freaking high school. I, I, I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. I mean, the story has been told. Check. We got it. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like next um, I guess we've gone oh so long <laughs> that I was happy oh. to talk to you. Um, it's been so wonderful and- chatting with you guys. Like this was so fun. Thank you for for having me. Yeah, it's great to chat about all my favorite things. Oh, absolutely. That's what it always ends up. And if people wanted to continue the conversation, how can they reach out to you? That oh, sounded yeah. really professional. <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> <laughs> Very profesh. Um, yeah, so if, uh, if you want to get in touch, Twitter is a place that I am on for now, based on what I don't know the future of that place. But um, my handle's um, at Silken Moonlight. Gotta love those fourth grade usernames that keep stay with you forever. Um, but yeah, there's that or uh, Instagram. I'm Glitz and Gaia. Um, and I mostly post all the real food that I make <laughs> there, but uh, Twitter is more for, for game dev discussion and things. So um, yeah, love to get in touch. Uh, these are things I love to, to chat about and hear about what people are working on and what's in the space. So please feel free to, yeah, get in touch those ways. You can. Y'all, y'all are so cool. And I'm so, it's wonderful to hear your, you know, passion about romance and sexuality in games. It's something that, um, at least historically, has been, has not had the attention it deserves, I think. And especially with, like, romance being such a huge part of, like, both the 
the book market and I like all entertainment honestly um mm-hmm. i'm really just yeah glad y'all are giving it giving it so much love so thank you for all you're doing too Aww. thank you oh thank you <laughs> we could talk about this all day <laughs> obviously we made a podcast <laughs> for it <laughs> right uh yeah my new workout go-to it's gonna be <gasps> listening to you guys so Oh, thank you. Yeah, for doing this. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Wonderful chatting with you. Take care, y'all. You too. Bye. Bye. If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes or give us a rating on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can now find me in the Cyberpunk Lorecast channel with my co-host Toasty. And, of course, in our Two Girls, One Ship channel on the Robots Radio Discord. Come give us a follow on all the social medias, and you can find us by typing out the entire freaking words of patreon.com slash ship. Links to those are in the description. I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well, and on our own Two Girls, One Ship Discord server, where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. Be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Wednesdays and Fridays, 10.30pm Eastern Time, 7.30pm Pacific Time, or watch the YouTube video a few days after the stream. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays, because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. So thanks for listening, and remember... Beauty is in the eye of the controller. Do you love Dragon Age? Have you always wanted to learn more about its vast world and detailed lore? Are you still attached to your hero of Ferelden, even a decade after Dragon Age Origins came out? Or maybe you're a newer fan, still discovering a new tidbit or quest every day. Well, either way, the Dragon Age Lorecast is the podcast for you. I'm Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm Shelby, also known as SheCup. And come and join us as we embark on a journey to explore and discover all things Dragon Age. We'll discuss all kinds of topics, from Lyrium to the Chantry and the great mysteries of the old gods, and even more that even you Bioware superfans might not know about. So come and listen on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And always remember... Swooping.